Welcome to Hedge Fund Tips with Tom Hayes. I'm Tom Hayes, and this is your 213th video cast podcast for the week ending November 16th, 2023. We'll kick it off with some family updates and then get right down to it. Ton to cover today, uh, obviously. So first and foremost, that's Annabelle and Mimi had a um, a big swim meet this week and uh, pretty exciting stuff. Uh, Mimi was um, uh, had all personal bests this weekend and now is the fastest 11-year-old distance freestyler in the state. Maxed out her qualifications for the state championships. And Annabelle, who you see here in the picture, uh, also swam her personal best. She's still number one in the nation for her age in backstroke, but she is also now number one in the nation for her age in the 50 freestyle. She went 28.61 in her 50 freestyle, which is... Uh, very fast for a nine-year-old. Okay, <laughs> so very proud of them for all the work they're doing. Uh, this morning, after uh, everyone was panicking about Alibaba, which we're going to cover, um, and things settled down around 1130, I looked outside. It was 60 degrees. I went out and played nine. Uh, and um, I got to say, I just got this clear shaft from Clear Golf through Gene Mulak, who taught me to play golf, if you remember. Uh, I talked about him last week. Uh, he taught me how to play golf. I'll tell you what, I'm not a big technology person. I play uh, Mizuno 221s. There's zero technology in those clubs. Um, I've never seen anything like this driver shaft. Uh, my first drive off the first tee is a par four, and the carry on my Acros was 305. And the only reason it stopped because it was a bullet was because it hit the rough before the green on the par four. Uh, I've never hit it. Like, you know, when I hit it good, it's 280, 285. I mean, this thing is unreal. So if you're a golfer, you should call Gene at Clear Golf and get these. I, I just put in for the three wood. I, I literally, you know, I had the hazardous, everyone has the hazardous shafts. I'm just saying it's, it's unbelievable the difference. So um, it's it's like their balls. Anyone who's played their black balls, you know the drill. Anyway, all right, getting right down to it. I uh, want to thank Kayla Aristivo, Nick Palazzo, and of course the amazing Charles Payne for having me on Fox Business yesterday. We discussed uh, advanced auto parts. We discussed Cooper Standard and our outlook. So take a listen here. Now though, I want to bring in Great Hill Capital Chairman Thomas Hayes. Thomas, let me start with earnings. I was going to ask Lance about earnings. So 20, 2023, you know, sort of lackluster, so to speak. But the street's looking for some big numbers. Two dollars and forty-two cents, forty-one cents next year. Two forty-two dollars and two hundred, rather two hundred seventy-five dollars the next year. Most guests say that this number is too high for next year. Two hundred forty-one. Do you think it's too low? I think it's too low. I think we're going up tw uh, to two forty-five to two fifty, up twelve percent year on year. Here's why, Charles. The C-suite has been preparing for a recession all year that never came. And what we're seeing in the background that no one's paying attention to is actually uh, not only revenues, but margins have been creeping higher because management's trying to do more with less. They're preparing for this recession. So it's this Goldilocks scenario that continues. You, you have the GDP growing. You have the labor market cooling a little bit, inflation. That really has been the key. I mean, yeah. listen, I focus on margins. I always tell people if margins are going this way, the stock is going to go this way, or the market's going to go this way, and still – strong margins. And that's another thing, a great point you bring up. A lot of folks are saying margins can't stay at these levels, and yet 
they have stayed at these levels. They're, they troughed and now they're reaccelerating, and that's going to continue. And you think about all the, the drivers, the productivity drivers, whether it's AI, right. uh, cutting, cooling labor force, wages not going up quite as fast. I think all these things are positive for 2020. All right, reaccelerating. You brought up a great word here. I started this, uh, this show with uh, some of these ugly charts, series of lower highs and, and lower lows. Nothing more ex exemplifies that than a Russell 2000. Uh, but yesterday, talk about a gap open, huge move to the upside. You like these small caps here? I love this. I think this is the theme for 2024. And the reason is most of these companies have leverage. And that's what everyone's worried about, whether it was regional banks because you're financially weighted. Now that the peak yields narrative is in place, the mark to markets on the regional bank balance sheet is going to improve. People are going to get more comfortable with the regional banks and these small companies that have a little leverage on their balance sheets with high short interest. You're not worried about these the stocks large percentage run. of these that need to re refinance next year at, at much higher rates? Well, I think it certainly it was perceived to be much higher. And the reason they sold off so aggressively from August to October, you didn't know the discount rate. You didn't know the refinance rate. Right. Now that you see the 10-year yield backing off to 455, uh, now you can quantify the risk, the refinancing. Not everything comes due next year. So I think these are the ones that are going to have a home run. Let's talk about a couple specific yeah. ideas for you. Talking about bottom fishing. All right, we had to go back to 2018 to find a high on this bad boy. Yeah. This is Cooper. Cooper products? Cooper Standard. So they do the ceiling systems around the doors and windows. For, for new OEMs, think GM, Ford. Um, and what's amazing about this company is up here when it was trading at $146, you had peak auto production. Right. Uh, they were earning about $7.20 a share. We came out on this network May of 2020 when the stock was at $6. It actually got down to $3.50, so we weren't perfect. But since that point, so it's a good thing you didn't have a stop loss in. It, no, no, no. We, when we buy a business, we buy a business. You're a long-term investor. Long-term investor. So this thing's up 3x, 200%, at, and, and we think it's just getting started. Why? Because if we just get back to 85% of production over the next two years, right. this business, they've taken a lot of costs out. They're going to earn over 7 bucks a share. The question is, does it trade at trough multiple of 10 times? That's a $70 stock, or back to peak multiple of 140, 20 times? $146. Yeah, so Either way, we have, take it from here. This is a win. I've got 30 seconds. I did a whole segment <laughs> on this one time on how not to run a company, advanced auto parts. You can see the stock, folks. I mean, $230, $210 a share, uh, down to about 50 bucks. Yeah. You buying it here? Drop, yeah, this is a brand new position for us. Uh, brand new CEO. This is a turnaround story. You're betting Shane, on management, bottom line. Shane O'Kelly, he ran HD Supply, $7 billion business for Home Depot. He knows operational discipline. He's got a military background. We love that. He's taken it. He did his kitchen sink quarter this morning. He wrote down inventory. Right. He's going to cut $150, $150 million of cost. He's going to sell off the Canadian business, and he's going to delever the balance sheet. This thing is going to fly under new management, and we love this Yeah, stock. I did a comparison of this over, like, the last 5, 10 years versus AutoZone. Completely different management, but I love what you're saying there. Yeah, you need a new jockey. Management. You need a new jockey. Yeah. Great hey, stuff. Happy birthday. You too. Thank happy you. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. All right, folks. And we're back. I uh, also want to thank Jack Denton for including me in his article on Bloomberg today about Alibaba. And we're going to go through that. Uh, you can read the excerpt there. As far as the other media, we're going to do that later in the show because I want to get right down to Baba, uh, CNBC Indonesia. We'll thank all the producers as we get to it. CGTN America with Phil, we'll definitely get to that. And then uh, Anyana, Mariam, Rajesh, and Shivansh Tiwari. I want to thank them at Reuters for including me in their article as well as uh, Reuters for the second article about the CPI report. All that's good. And then we'll get to this stock pick uh, later in the show. So here was my thoughts after um, 
Alibaba reported this morning. And um, come to think of it, you know, I said my initial thoughts on Alibaba more on the podcast tonight. I don't really have a lot more thoughts. And here's what I said. Uh, the market does not like surprises. While Alibaba disappointed in investors with its announcement to scuttle the cloud spinoff, it is critical to keep in mind that revenues were up 9% year on year and earnings per share were up 21% year on year. They generated $6.2 billion of free cash flow, which was up 27% year on year. Investors had hoped to receive separate shares of the cloud business in hopes the segment would achieve a higher multiple in the public markets due to its growth potential. The two most successful cloud companies in the world see things otherwise. Both Amazon AWS and Microsoft Azure continue to keep their cloud businesses as a part of their parent company as the synergies and resources feed one another. The same will be true for Alibaba. As for their concern about US chip, chip sanctions, AliCloud will employ the most advanced chips they have access to. They have 38% share of the Chinese market for cloud and 80% of major tech clients in China. This will not change as most Chinese companies will continue to use a Chinese provider. Despite chip sanctions, cloud revenues were up 2% year on year. AliCloud adjusted EBITDA increased 44% year on year. This story is just beginning. You know, it's funny. I had a quote unquote friend DM me on uh, one of the social networks today and said, um, uh, he said, uh, uh, what did he say? Didn't you post on Twitter only six months ago how wonderful it will be when Alibaba spins off the Ali Cloud unit? Claiming it'll get a lot more value, blah, blah, blah. So I said, hey, thanks for your concern. Uh, yes, separate would have been better to unlock value by piece. Uh, but so long as they were growing free cash flow, 27% in this particular quarter, I have no problem with it. Price is what you pay, value is what you get. There are not many comparables in that context. Content, uh, content to wait while the rest of the portfolio climbs, uh, blah, 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 you know, et cetera. You know, hope your family's good, yada, yada, yada. So, you know, that that's kind of the, the story of my morning. A lot of whiny people, but that's just normal. And if you can't take the heat, stay out of the kitchen is really what it comes down to. At the end of the day, if I owned a business that grew cash, free cash flow, 27 billion uh, excuse me, uh, 6.2 billion, 25 billion a year, year on year, and it was trading at the lowest value that it's ever traded at, would I be a seller? I mean, would I sell it down 10% because they can't break off a piece? I mean, look, the business traded for $320 a share when everything was together three years ago. What was the difference? The dollar was weak. The, the crackdowns weren't uh, significant. Um, still the same leadership, but, but, uh, but they let them run. And by the way, the interesting counterintuitive thing about today that they're not spinning off the alley cloud, number one, market conditions are not primed for that. So they're not spinning off the logistics business. They are still going to do, uh, I'm sorry, they're not, they are spinning off the logistics business. They're not going to spin off um, um, for Shippo because uh, the idea of spinning these off was so that they could raise capital on their own. They've got more capital than they know what to do with. I mean, if you back, I mean, it's mind boggling. The market cap today was 200 billion. You back out, 
you know, $70 billion of cash. Um, you know, you have a business trading, add back the debt. So you've got a business trading at um, five or six times free cash flow. Uh, you know, that is price is what you pay, uh, value is what you get. And in my framework and in my world where I live, uh, if I can buy growing cash flow cheaper than anywhere else in the world, I'm going to do that all day long. So as far as I'm concerned, today was a gift uh, for those of you who don't have exposure. Um, and, um, uh, you know, it, it's, it's interesting. I had expected coming back uh, after, you know, an hour and a half of playing nine holes that the portfolio would be down. And it's mind boggling to see all these other companies uh, taking up so much more weight, like Intel was huge today. Um, you know, remember, no one wanted it at $25 when we were talking about it today. It was $42 or $43. You know, this one, you know, in the mid-50s and the 60s, we're going to have to take a look and see if it's already reached full value in less than a year. Full value in terms of what was our intended plan. And then we'll take a look at are these free options on foundries and AI and all that stuff going to make it worth a lot more than that? Because our play was just on their legacy business. Uh, mind-boggling. Cooper Standard continues to climb up. Someone sent me a thing today how AWS is hosting um, uh, a thing with the Cooper Standard AI unit now, which is mind-boggling to me because that's just a free option on uh, AI. But I don't even want to get into that because it's not even part of our thesis to get back to $7 a share. Uh, and then we'll go through some of the others. So everything else is working. Alibaba is Alibaba. Uh, here's where it is, guys. Tune out all the noise. This is exactly what's happening. It's been doing the same thing since March, February of 2022, which is going sideways in this stupid range. Now it's at the low end of the range. It's $79. It was $77 in March, $79 in, uh, I'm sorry, May, $79 in March, uh, $58 last fall when the dollar was super strong, $78 the March before, $73 the March before that. So, you know, here we are, we're at the bottom end of the range, inverse head and shoulders, we'll see if we can power through. But I think at this point, uh, we're running out of sellers. I mean, you know, the bad news is out. The company's still got 14 billion on their buyback. They said they're gonna use it. They said they're gonna give us a dividend on top of it. I'm not crazy about that, but you know, I'll take it while I wait. Uh, and um, the counterintuitive thing is, is the antitrust risk must have abated because the government would certainly have to give a nod for them to uh, agree to keep it as a behemoth. And maybe what the government is saying, we do need a national champion again, uh, and we want you to become bigger and better than ever before. It could be. Uh, the other issue today was that um, um, Jack Ma's foundation and um, related entities filed to sell about $800 million of stock. So people, you know, uh, took that to mean something. I mean, it's a de minimis amount of his holdings, but you know, look, people sell for a million reasons. They only buy for one. So would we rather be he be a buyer than a seller? Yes, we would. But you know, if I'm in his shoes, a business that I have no control over, I, I you know, I wouldn't, uh, uh, you know, I'd be diversifying too. I'm sure a lot of his. Uh, and, and by the way, that's what we do. That's why we own eight to twelve businesses at a time, uh, because um, you know. Some take longer than the others. You get your Cooper standards that go 3x overnight, basically. You get your Intels that double overnight. You get things like that that happen. Uh, and then some of these take longer. So this one, 
in the context of the real world, uh, you know, has been doing this since it started. It's had three of these long year and a half, two year consolidations. First one in 2015 to 2016, second one in 2018 to 2019, and now from 2022 to 2023. So uh, all I can tell you is it's, <laughs> I, you, I have never seen a business that was growing the way it's growing and had the intrinsic value that was trading at these levels uh, that had such a moat. So we're going to hold on to it. We'll let the rest of the portfolio perform, which it's been doing in spades of late. Uh, even Disney, for heaven's sake, is up from $79 to $94 because a new activist is in it. Value Act is in. Uh, um, um, Value Act is in. Uh, Nelson Peltz is in. The Marvel guy is in. They must all be listening to the podcast. They heard Tom Hayes was in, and now now they're all getting excited. But uh, I'm joking, obviously. A couple things here from the call with Joe Side, Chairman. I mean, you know, there's nothing new here other than the fact that um, <laughs> we, they ended the quarter with 63 billion, so they uh, they generated 27 billion of free cash flow in the last seven months. So yeah, I mean, enterprise. <laughs> It's unbelievable. So basically, they could they could buy in the entire company in uh, five six years if they wanted to. It's it's just amazing. So he's talking about here is uh, in March 2023, our return on invested capital was in the single digits. Obviously, there's room for improvement, and we're targeting to lift our return on invested capital to double digits uh, and invest our cash flow for future growth. So they're on target here. Um, if you go segment by segment, which we can do, um, everything's working. I mean, that's that's the bottom line. The earnings itself were great. Revenues were up 9%. In operating income, 34%. Earnings per share, 21%. Tmall, um, let's see, revenues up, uh, up China Conference Wholesale. So... Every single division, every single division had a year-on-year -year revenue change, material revenue change, uh, with the exception of their smallest division, which was all others, uh, was flat. But, uh, you know, 3%, 6%, 3%, 18%, 4%, 73% international commerce retail, by the way. That's huge. And you, we put out that note the other day, uh, we covered last week, that the... Uh, AliExpress overtook Amazon in Europe as the largest e-commerce website, which is mind-boggling when you think about that. And then you had um, six months, same story. So, you know, you can go through this segment by segment, but at the end of the day, the margin of safety here is so huge. You've basically got the government risk largely in the background. You have some improvement you know, if Biden can, you know, stop calling people dictators, even though they are, uh, maybe that will be helpful. But I think generally the meeting in California went pretty well yesterday. There's dialogue. They realize they need each other. They're going to keep talking. Uh, at the end of the day, the only thing that really matters is what's happening here. The U.S. dollar is rolling over. The Fed is done. Rates are going down. And here, emerging market stocks have been on a tear since the end of October. Uh, when it was clear that we're at peak rates. And uh, Alibaba was participating in this uh, along with the other Chinese stocks until 
uh, they had this announcement today. So it'll take a few days. We got to be patient again while a little bit, you know, weaklings you know, puke out their stock and smart people pick up a few more shares. And then we work back higher along with emerging markets, et cetera. So whether it's in pieces or whether it's a one full piece, look, pieces would have been nice because you could get a monster multiple on uh, uh, on the cloud. But, you know, Amazon and uh, Microsoft have done just fine, you know, working together. And the fact that the uh, communist government has uh, nodded to them staying together also speaks volume that they realize uh, bigger is better. They're going to need them to create some jobs. So that's a good thing, not a bad thing. Um, it's just mind-boggling. $200 billion market cap with $63 billion of cash, generating $27 billion a year. Um, so, you know, that's that. Uh, by the way, I'll just save you five or six um, ask me anything questions about Alibaba. Everyone asks, like, you know, what is your um, basis and what, what is your target? Uh, our first basis, we've got a huge block. The older block is in the low hundreds. We bought down, bought down, bought down. And then we've got another newer block, which on average is uh, 83.96 basis. So because um, uh, we had that flush last fall, we took advantage of. So there's there. Nothing's changed with our price target. We think the sum of the parts is well worth 250 to 350 plus, and we'll we'll see what it looks about like when it gets there. Uh, hopefully, I won't have too many gray hairs by the time that happens. But usually, when you're at this point, uh, the inflection point, as we've seen with every other company in our portfolio, when it happens, it happens all at once. Baba, uh, uh, like its true nature and DNA, has to give us a, a little bit more headache for a little longer, but. Uh, no big deal. Uh, everything else is working. This one can wait. And uh, we're patient. Uh, now everyone's Intel uh, upgrading in Intel. Opinion follows trend. It's a quote now under the radar AI, AI play as Mizuho upgrades the stock. Uh, I don't I didn't even look at what, what they put on the price target. But my guess is it's uh, he upped his price target to $50 from 37. So the, so what happened was he was pessimistic. The stock price exceeded his target, so he had to raise his target. He'll have to raise his target again. Thanks for that uh, uh, sagacious, um, um, uh, you know, forward-looking brilliance. Uh, a little too little, too late. But look, uh, now now they say they're going to unlock value after the stock's up almost double. Thank you very much. Um, and so on. And then the last thing which we, we're going to talk about uh, in the money show appearance today is small caps being another major theme besides uh, emerging markets. Here's from Buffett. This is completely by accident. I didn't even put a quote of the day. I don't know how this showed up, but it's perfect. The most important quality for an investor is temperament, not intellect. You need a temperament, temperament that neither de derives great pleasure from being with the crowd or against the crowd, just basically knowing what you own. And, um, you know, when the crowd's against you, you look at the fundamentals. If you owned a normal everyday business and, uh, you know, your CFO came to you uh, this morning and said, hey, um, the good news is our 20,000 apartment buildings, free cash flow uh, is up 27% uh, uh, year on year. The bad news is, we were going to break it up into you know four units of five thousand and sell them off at uh, increased multiples. Uh, we're we're no longer allowed to do that. Regulations say we have to keep it together as one big package, and therefore there are less buyers. 
you know, would you know, would it be a end of the world day? And the answer is no, because the the asset continues to improve, continues to generate cash. And at the end of the day, that's all investing is, is what do you pay and what do you get? And, uh, and as far as uh, I can see, there aren't many businesses of the quality that Alibaba is around the world that I can pay less dollars to get more cash flow. Uh, it's, it's, <laughs> it's mind boggling. Uh, okay, Bank of America Global Fund Manager survey results. Uh, it's interesting, even with the big rally that we've seen in the last few weeks, uh, sentiment is just barely turning, which means there's a, a huge wall of worry that's going to be climbed. Um, we'll get into that in the article of the week here, which is entitled Next Thing You Know, Stock Market and Sentiment Results. Uh, Next Thing You Know is a song co-written and recorded by American country music singer Jordan Davis. It was released on February 21st, 2023. It was nominated for the Country Music Association Award and Single Song and Video of the Year at the 57th annual country music awards i chose this song as the theme for this week's article because the lifetime progression he outlines in the song reminds me of when you apply a disciplined proven framework to your investing process and then you wait in all capital letters uh, and let it play out as it always does sometimes sooner sometimes later but it always works over time when the framework is correct as i've stated many times when it comes, it comes all at once. All you can control is the process, not the timeline. Some investments reach intrinsic value in six months and some take more than 36 months. Some investment, um, the key is buying durable, proven cash generative businesses when they are temporarily impaired and then sitting on your hands until they are fully valued. Here's the quote from Buffett, which just uh, summarizes our investment philosophy in a nutshell. Great investment opportunities come around when excellent companies are surrounded by unusual circumstances that cause the stock to be misappraised. In the case of Alibaba, it's complete textbook. And in the case of all these other names that we've talked about on the podcast, videocast, and in our public media appearances, they all had the exact same thing. And, you know, these are the type of things that you see in the last few weeks. Cooper Standard up 72%. I think today it closed up again. Uh, Intel. Intel's not even, it's just up 27% in the last two weeks. That doesn't include from 25 to 32. Uh, uh, regional banks shot up 20%. Uh, advanced auto parts shot up uh, 24. I think it's sold off today because some knucklehead analyst uh, doesn't think the turnaround play is going to work fast enough for him to get his bonus at the end of the year. So he downgraded the stock. But that just creates more opportunity. At the end of the day, I laid it out with Charles Payne. The guy is going to sell off the Canada business, use the money to delever. Um, he, he and and they're actually unlike Cooper Standard last year. They didn't have to uh, delever. They've got free cash flow. Yes, they've taken it down. They're still going to generate fifty to hundred million this year. The problem, as I said in past calls, was the previous CEO jacked up prices, pissed off a lot of clients. They left. This guy has gone back to all the clients. He is. Um, uh, selling off the non-core businesses, uh, Westpac and the Canadian business, paying down debt, investing in growth, fixing the relationships with the um, the clients by keeping their best uh, uh, frontline people on board, uh, and he's going to do it. I mean, the, 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 he he laid out the plan clearly enough on the earnings call, and you can listen to that. Even Crown Castle. If you remember, I was on Charles' show a few weeks back talking about Crown Castle when it was in the 90s. 
and uh, low 90s actually. And, um, you know, there was just despondency. And I said, as soon as rates turn, you know, and I also be a buyer TLT and, and rates turned uh, and boom, this thing's up 20% and you get a huge yield on top of it. That's just getting started. TLT's up 10%. Uh, Stanley Black & Decker's up 18.5%. These are stocks no one wanted. We've been talking about. Uh, Generac, uh, okay, rebounded 42% in the last few weeks. VF Corp, even 39%. So that's just getting started. We talked about that on the Claim and Countdown last week. Uh, so you know the, the story from last week's podcast, if not checking it. Even Vornado, rates turned. I mean, this is one we were talking about in the low and mid-teens, also on the Claim and Countdown. Maybe that's a lucky show. Uh, but no, actually, half of these we, we talked about on Charles's show, too. Uh, you know, this thing, you know, North Face up 29% in a few weeks. PayPal even, PayPal, you can't give away PayPal. There's another business that boggles the mind uh, with the amount of cash it generates relative to where it trades. But these things always turn and when they turn, they're abrupt. And then you get these guys from Mizuho upgrading them after they double with their brilliant calls. So PayPal up 15%, uh, BABA was until today. So BABA's done, BABA's, uh, let's see, it was at 79.58. Where did it close uh, a month ago? It's probably back there now. So zero. Baba's done zero, okay? Uh, 3M, you can't give it away. PFAS, the world is ending. Well, it's quietly climbed from 85 to 97, up 13.5%. Disney, okay? This one, I can't remember how many times I got on the call and said, best parks, best content library, Iger will figure it out. And then it would go from 88 to 85, and I'd get questions of the week, what about this? And they're woke and all this nonsense. And now the stock's up 20% and some smart people see what we see. Amazon, that just continues to perform. That was last fall, we were buying it when no one wanted it. it just in the last few weeks, up 23%. Baxter, people are starting to realize maybe GLP ones aren't gonna change the world entirely. Even this dog is up 11% and it's gonna be up a lot over the next few years when people figure it out. Biotech, there was actually an industry upgrade today. I didn't get a chance to read it yet. I'll read it in the morning. BMO upgraded the whole sector. Uh, we'll see, that's kind of interesting. Their thesis would people wanna live. Uh, we agree. Uh, City can't give this thing away. Even Jane Frazier's stock is up 20% in the last two and a half weeks. Remember, people who couldn't give the way, away the banks and now everyone's clamoring. Bank of America, same story. And I explain why with uh, not only Charles, which you already heard, but you're going to get more detail on that with Phil Yin. So the best part is, as much as it's been nice to see all these names move aggressively in our favor in the last few weeks, not one of them, not one of them, although um, Intel is getting in the neighborhood, is near our predetermined target of intrinsic value. Every battle is won or lost before it's ever fought, says Sun Tzu in The Art of War. In other words, most of these names are just getting going and still have many more months or years of runway before reaching fully valued status and are sold. If you think you, quote, missed it, you're mistaken. The majority of these have just started leaving the station. Uh, so again, thanks uh, to uh, Charles, Nick Blazo, and Kayla Aristivo. Uh, you want some color on Cooper Standard Advanced Auto Parts, listen there. These were our notes ahead of the segment. You can read it for more granularity and see how what you intend to talk about is often different from what you actually talk about. But this one uh, from the Money Show, Accredited Investor Conference, we covered two key investing themes for 2024. Um, 
And uh, this presentation is worth its weight in gold if you pay attention to some of the key charts in the middle. Thanks to Debbie Olson, Mike Larson, Kim Gittler, and Shelly Coyle for having me on. We're going to listen to this one now. Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for joining us. It is my pleasure to introduce Thomas Hayes. He's the founder, chairman, and managing member of Great Hill Capital. Now, to our live viewers, please type any questions you may have for Thomas in the chat box. Time permitting, we'll get to those at the end of his presentation. And with that said, Thomas, I am right here if you need anything, and the floor is all yours. Well, thanks for having me, Shelley. So excited to be back with the Money Show. And the theme of this presentation, and I think you're going to find it very useful in the months ahead, is going to be outperformance themes for 2024. So uh, anyone can buy beta for a few basis points uh, in an ETF. You buy the S&P 500 and you're off to the races, and that's a good wealth builder over the long term. You just buy every single month. But when you want to uh, look for outperformance, you kind of have to uh, bet against the consensus and be right. So we're going to talk about some ideas in that context. Just a little background, uh, um, you know, why you should listen. Uh, I've been in the hedge fund business for about a decade and a half, long, short equity predominantly, uh, quality value tilt. Uh, the firm is Great Hill Capital, uh, where I'm chairman and managing member. You can see me regularly on Fox Business. As a matter of fact, I'll be on Making Money with Charles Payne. Many of you know Charles Payne from the Orlando and Las Vegas shows. Uh, tomorrow at 2 p.m. between the 2 p.m. and 3 p.m. hours. So definitely tune in to see Charles Payne. I know many of you already do that. Uh, CNBC, Yahoo Finance, BBC, etc. And prior to going out on my own with Great Hill Capital, I worked with a fund that uh, many of you may recognize the name from the movie, The Big Short. Uh, I worked for the guy named, uh, played by Brad Pitt. I will say Ben is uh, uh, slightly less handsome in person, but probably four times as smart. So that was a great experience. I still stay in touch with those guys. Uh, they're phenomenal. And, uh, and then prior to that, the first fund I was at uh, was Bedford Oak Advisors. And I was put in as COO of one of our public companies. And my job there was to source, negotiate, and close the purchase of an asset management business. I interviewed over 100 different firms. And what, that was, what was really valuable was I saw what strategies worked over time, what strategies didn't, had greater volatility, et cetera, and ultimately closed on a firm that had $1.6 billion under management. Uh, and then uh, prior to that, went to Columbia University. So uh, Great Hill Capital, we run a long, short equity strategy in separately managed account format for uh uh, for accredited investors and qualified institutions. And we have developed a reputation over time for benefiting from sector, stock, and general market uh, dislocations and periods of distress, which is very appropriate for right now because uh, there are a tremendous amount of unique opportunities available in the market. You know, a lot of people look just at the indices right now and see a pretty good year, but under the service, there is a tremendous amount of opportunity to be had. Um, hedgefundtips.com. We post a weekly research note about markets, about individual companies, uh, kind of note to clients. Every Thursday, you can get uh, on that list, as well as we do our weekly hedge fund tips with Tom Hayes. It's our video cast podcast. It's actually ranked top 
in the hedge fund category for podcasts. You can find that on YouTube, you can find it at the website, and you can find it wherever you get your podcasts. And people get a tremendous amount of value out of that for free every single week on Thursdays. Uh, but our strategy is we make money buying on weakness and selling on strength. Well, that's that's obvious, buy low and sell high. Everyone knows that very few people do it. It's kind of like weight loss. Everyone knows eat less, exercise more. Very few people do that. You have to have the discipline and um, uh, to do it well. Our confidence to step in when others are bailing is rooted in deep research and the premise that the more price becomes dislocated, the more risk that has actually come out. Oftentimes when a security is falling in price, people think, wow, that's really risky. Look how much it's falling and without knowing what they're owning. But actually, if you look at the ones that have fallen the most oftentimes, provided they meet certain characteristics or cash flow generative, it's a temporary impairment versus a permanent impairment. We'll talk about some of those different things. Uh, those represent the least risky opportunities. The ones that, uh, that keep going up and are trading at ridiculous multiples, people think they're the least risk because they keep going up. They, they oftentimes have the most risk. Uh, and market, most market participants see volatility as increased risk. We view it as increased opportunity. So our overriding investment philosophy in a nutshell Great investment opportunities come around when excellent companies are surrounded by unusual circumstances that cause the stock to be misappraised. That's from the master himself, Warren Buffett, um, and we're going to talk about it. But first, let's just do a high-level overview because you know some of you are probably on this saying, what happened? This is an article, uh, especially this morning, this is an article from just a couple of weeks ago from the Wall Street Journal at the end of October, and I immediately jumped on this in my Thursday article on the website. Uh, it was entitled, Another Black Monday May Be Around the Corner. And these two authors uh, thought they were going to be the next uh, Paul Tudor Jones, who actually did call Black Monday in 1987. He called it on the Friday before. And these folks uh, were cute. They put it out on the weekend. Uh, before basically the last uh, uh, two Mondays in October, thinking they'd get one out of two right. They couldn't have been more wrong. And why were they so wrong? Uh, number one, they got tied up, obviously, in the, is, uh, the uh, crisis in the Middle East with uh, Gaza, Israel, and, um, and Hamas uh, attack, which has been a complete tragedy. And, um, and more, uh, they, they got captured in the sentiment of the market. Now, the authors of this article uh, are academics and not market participants, but they're kind of a good proxy for what most of the world was thinking on October 22nd when they published this article. And the basis of their ar article, um, although it was clothed in a rational argument on the basis of money supply contraction, I think they were just behaving like most participants and selling anything that wasn't nailed down because they were nervous. Uh, but the argument was that money supply, M2 money supply, had contracted the most since the Great Depression. And therefore, we were on the cusp of a Great Depression. So I show you here what they were pointing to, and they only showed you know a short while. I go all the way back to 1960. Um, and then M2 money supply. And what's interesting about M2 money supply, while it has contracted on a year-on-year -year basis, it is so far above the long-term trend. And you can see here, I drew the trend line out 
from 1960 to 1975, then it ramps up again from you know 76 to uh, 95, then it ramps up again from 95 to 210, and then from you know 2013 to present, we are not just exceedingly above pre-pandemic money supply levels. We are significantly above the long-term trend, including the normalized growth rate. We are four trillion dollars above trend in excess money supply. That's liquidity that drives growth, et cetera. So when they talk about contraction and yes, it's come down. Yes, the Fed has reduced the balance sheet. It's going to take several years to work down this amount of excess money supply. And then you consider the uh, kind of pent up fiscal spending with the IRA plan, the government spending that uh, hasn't even hit the market for many infrastructure products and the multiplier effect of that. So, you know, they basically gave us, uh, you know, 40% of GDP in, in 18 months, increased money supplies. So these, they said we're running on fumes. It's $4 trillion of excess fumes, and that's going to carry us a long way. And that's why you see days like today, when inflation comes down, the Fed's out of the way, uh, the amount of growth and, and upside in coming years can be a lot more than most people are thinking. Um, now, the key to the whole thing <coughs> was yields had to peak. And these were charts I put in my article right around that time when, in fact, this was from three days after that article and we had had an outside reversal day on that Tuesday. And I said that, you know, this is critical for the stock market. And it was preceded by, you know, many people think it was a big hedge fund manager that came out and says, I'm covering my short on bonds. And that moved you know, $20 trillion of bonds, uh, one person's tweet, uh, had nothing to do with that because the two-year yield had actually had its outside reversal day the week before, and it presaged what we saw in the 10-year yield. And we talked about that on our podcast the week before. Uh, so as you saw this roll over, uh, that roll over, and now as you look at today, uh, absolutely collapsed down to four 46, I believe, the 10-year yield. So we've gone from this uh, just a couple of weeks ago when people were calling for the next Black Monday to now down to here, and we're off to the races, probably up three, 400 points on the S&P 500, a couple thousand on the Dow. Uh, so that, that's a big deal. And the knock-on implications to where can you make the most amount of money in the shortest period of time over the next 12 to 24 months is fully a function of this chart and its knock-on effect of the U.S. dollar. So you can see here, uh, these are all from, from that week, uh, October 24th. You can see where it was peaking out. And we said, we think you know momentum is here. This was uh, Robert Slumer from RBC, uh, was right in line with our thinking there. Here was the TLT bottoming out. That's going to be a continued rally. You had a negative divergence on the TLT where uh, momentum was picking up, but price was going down. That's often what you see at bottoms because all these people get wiped out with their stop losses and then they take it up. And now I think this is up 10 points from you know 82 to almost 90 today on the TLT. And that's just beginning in our view. You also saw record shorts in um, uh, 10-year treasury futures. Uh, managers were the hedge funds were the most short the 10-year treasuries that they've been since October of 2018. If you go back to October of 2018, uh, that was, 
let's see here, right before a monster rally in bonds. That was right here, ladies and gentlemen. So you can see here, the last time they were this short, bonds was right here. And it was a very similar situation where you took, made a lower low, which faked everyone out, took everyone out, and then bonds absolutely rallied for the next 12 to 18 months. Lower low again here, and bonds are going to continue to rally for the next you know, year for the foreseeable future. The dollar was starting to wane momentum. And actually, if you look at the dollar, the dollar peaked in October of 2022 and collapsed. And what you saw from October till about January, February, March was one of the biggest rip your face off rallies in emerging markets during that period. And then when you started to see these counter trend bounces, particularly this very strong one that we've had the last 12 weeks, um, you know, most people, all they, they're talking about is the strength in the dollar, but it's actually just simply a counter trend balance that's starting to roll over. As a matter of fact, I think the U.S. dollar is down about a percent, uh, 1.25 to 1.5 percent today. And that's going to have broad rate, uh, broad ramifications for uh, emerging markets and some other uh, couple opportunities we're going to discuss here. High yield spreads, as pessimistic as everyone was. They were holding in just fine. That's a key indicator of uh, recession, and they were in good shape. They've since come off the boil here, and a lot of people are calling uh, junk bonds the best contrarian trade for 2024. We don't play in that space, but we could definitely see the argument for that. Uh, we're now moving into strong seasonality, which we had pointed to that week, and that's going to persist through year-end, particularly given how people were positioned into year-end as pessimistic as those two academic authors that said the end of the world was coming with Black Monday, watch out, uh, you know, hide under the table and, and so on and so forth. This is the normal seasonality of this time of year. So, you know, we're probably somewhere in here. You know, we've had this big rally off the October low. Uh, maybe, you know, we saw a little bit of consolidation earlier this week, and then you'll get some persistence in the rally through year end probably more exacerbated on the upside just because of how negatively everyone was positioned. And you can see here uh, the normal seasonality from uh, Jeff Hirsch over at um, Stock Traders Almanac. Here is the fuel for the bull market of 2024. You had uh, excess cash and T-bills. When people say people are overweight bonds, they were overweight short end of the curve treasury bills, they were short and underweight the long end of the curve, which is the long end of the curve is what's rallying uh, more meaningfully, and, and it will due to duration uh, moving forward. But you had uh, here the B of A pri private clients, excess cash and T-bills. So they were hiding out here at the low in October 2013. Um, and and you know to get that to a normalized ratio averages 13%. They're up to 15%. They're going to have to chase up. The bull and bear indicator was at a buy. Pessimist, uh, pessimism was at an extreme high. Even this uh, sentiment remains bearish around growth and profit expectations. The new data on this just came out today. And while uh, outlook was as bearish as it was during the great financial crisis lows coming out of those bottoms in March of 2009, and the COVID lows in 2020, it hasn't moved up much higher this month. It may be up you know, right around here, which means we've got a long way to go until we see some euphoria and we start getting a little worried and want to, want to take profits. Uh, this, this game is just beginning and people are caught massively off sides, both being short bonds and being overweight cash and underweight equities. 
Um, the cash levels were elevated. That was another uh, tell that we talked about last month. This has now come down to 4.7. So it's starting to move in the right direction, but it's nowhere near the low levels it gets at the beginning of bull markets right before you take off. So you could see these cash levels come down and still there's upside opportunity, but we're nowhere near that level of risk managers we're taking. This today, again, back down to 2009 levels, this today is only up just a fraction. We're nowhere up where we would start to get worried about froth uh, or excitement. The most crowded trades uh, haven't changed this month. Long big tech, short China equities. We're going to talk about emerging markets in just a little bit. But as you can see, whether it's uh, long term or short term, no one wants anything to do with emerging markets. Everyone was chasing energy after it already had its run. And what happened in the last few weeks? Energy got shellacked. Uh, no one wanted REITs. Now that rates are going down, REITs are rallying. Uh, again, no one wants emerging markets and, uh, and no one wants small caps either. So uh, these are some opportunities for uh, alpha in the next 12 to 24 months. Um, the earnings picture, it's not just hope and wishing. Um, estimates for this quarter, people were pessimistic. I was on Charles Payne at the beginning of earnings season. I said, look, estimates are negative 30 basis points. We've been 300 basis points too pessimistic. I'll bet you we're going to finish up 3% for this quarter and you don't want to be short going into that. Well, uh, they went worse before they went negative, went to negative 40 basis points. Now it's at plus 4.1% earnings growth for Q3. And for next year, is still holding in at plus 12% earnings growth. Up until a couple of weeks ago, when we were at that most pessimistic uh, article, we had had seen zero gains in the S&P 500 in 31 months. So for almost three years, there were basically 0% gains in the S&P 500, which is mind boggling when you think about it. That's what we call, this is not how markets top. This is what we call consolidation after a huge rally off the COVID lows. They consolidated sideways for two to three years, and now they're working higher towards the next leg in the run. The McClellan summation index was at extreme levels that started to come off the boil. But again, Nowhere near extremes and opportunity is just getting started if you know where to look. Um, you know, a lot of people do this uh, kind of chart fantasies on Twitter where they, you know, talk about they overlay it with 2008 and 2000, uh, um, uh, 1929 to try to scare people out of their positions. Well, what we look at is long term secular bull markets. And this is from BMO Capital Markets kind of overlaying what a normal 20-year bull secular bull cycle looks like. And as you can see here, we're kind of um, uh, right in the halfway point, uh, which would imply that the roaring 20s uh, is a strong possibility through the end of the next decade being a, a period of, of uh, prosperity on the basis of demographics. The largest part of our population, the millennials, is 33, 34 years old, housing formation, family formation. If you go through history through all these periods, you've had these 18 to 20 year periods of sideways consolidation of equity markets when you had a slump in population like you did with my generation. Generation X uh, you know, was basically from, you know, from uh, uh, this sideways period here uh, because we only had 65 million people. And the same thing you had in the 70s, then the boomers got up to those early 30s and you saw this monster, monster rally from 1982 to 2000, sideways till 2013. Now the millennials are kicking in and we're about halfway through. Uh, we think we've got another 8, 10, 12 years. 
And that implies some serious upside for the S&P 500. If you look at Robert Slumer's stuff from uh, RBC Wealth Management, these normal cycles. So while everyone keeps looking at recency bias, when are we going back to 2009? We've had you know up years. If you look here, when you come out of these huge downdrafts, whether it's uh, the, the mid 70s, 73, 77, uh, and you get these big rallies, you're up many hundreds of percent, but you're only halfway through the, the secular bull. Same thing with the 30s, 1932, 1937. And then you rally for many, many years, but you're only halfway through the long-term cycle. And I think that's where we are right now. And people are really underestimating. That's in part due to the demographics. It's in part due to the excess money supply. Now, where's the opportunity? Outsized returns must bet against consensus and be right. The second part of that census is, is the most important part. Um, so let's look at where we are. Large cap S&P trading at 18.3 times earnings. Mid cap, uh, much bigger bargain at 12.8 times and small cap, which you can't give away uh, at 11.9 times. Wall Street's the only place when they hold a clearance sale, no one shows up. What's the weight on small caps? Well, it's financially weighted. So everyone's afraid of the regional banks. I think as you're seeing the uh, rates compress, the refinancing uh, opportunities are gonna start to be uh, clear to the market. And the mark to markets, which is the most important thing, if you remember from the March crisis, they all had to buy treasuries up because the deposits were rolling in as a result of all the free cash from the government. Uh, those portfolios got marked down. Every day you see the, the bonds rally, TLT rally, that, that's helping the mark to markets on all these regional banks, which is going to drive the small cap index. Um, and you look here, it, just to give you a longer term perspective on the multiples on the mid cap and small cap down here in uh, blue and green, uh, there are periods of massive outperformance uh, like you had from 2011 to 2015 coming out of the trough and like you had from uh, actually 2002 to 2007 and underperformance like we've seen of late. You want to buy it when it's underperforming and sell it when it's outperformed for a long time. This is from Seth Golden, this uh, a note here from Derek Horstmeyer, George Mason University shows that the first half of an interest rate peak has historically been where investors can get the best returns with returns falling off sharply during the second half. And the biggest outperformer after interest rates peak in the first you know, year or two years is going to be small caps. Uh, and you can see that um, uh, looking backwards, uh, they were the worst performers. And the exact same thing, the only other group that has such a dramatic outperformance is going to be uh, emerging markets. And you can't give away both. Small caps and emerging markets are our themes for uh, 2024, 2025 for, for getting massive outperformance. You can see here since 2009, what's outperformed the US, what's underperformed emerging markets. Well, look what happened uh, in, it run, runs in cycles. Look what happened from 2002 to 2007. The exact opposite was true. So here you had U.S. up 540%, emerging markets up only 97%. And in 2002 to 2007, you had emerging markets up almost 400% while the U.S. was only up 100%. We think we're going to now move back to emerging markets being up three, 400% over the next five, seven years and, and uh, U.S. Uh, performing well, but less well. And that's a function of the dollar. Here is the dollar overlaid with the um, uh, Hang Seng, Hong Kong stock market, which you know effectively a proxy for China. Um, the black line is the US dollar, as you can see, when it was strong, 
Um, uh, the Hang Seng rolled over. As it weakened, you had the biggest rally in the Hang Seng in history, basically 4X in a period of four years from 2003 to 2007. Then the dollar strengthened, it collapsed, dollar weakened, it rallied, uh, et cetera. And I'm gonna show you a clearer, this is probably the most important chart of the day, which is uh, just a simple emerging markets chart with uh, relative strength. Everyone knows this monthly, every time it got uh, below 30, and then you had this uh, moving average convergence divergence crossover. What did you see? You saw emerging markets rally uh, as the dollar weakened. So here, dollar was at its peak in black, emerging markets was at its bottom. As the dollar weakened, emerging markets rallied 474%. Same thing here, dollar peaked, emerging markets rallied 189%. Same thing here, uh, emerging markets rallied 91%. And here we are once again, the dollar peaked last October. You have the moving average convergence divergence crossover. You have the RSI. And I think we're looking very close to this dotted line here where you had the bottom last year. Then you have a little rally and check back before the big move as the dollars come off the boil, but it's doing some check backs. And then you get the big monster rally once everyone's out. And sentiment and positioning in emerging market is so despondent like it was in 2003, just before it rallied 474%. Uh, so that 2002 to 2007 all over again, well, what outperformed during those periods? Emerging markets and small cap US. Uh, what also outperformed was growth, uh, excuse me, uh, value relative to growth. The, the blue line here is value. The red line is growth. As you can see, growth is outperformed with because rates got compressed down to zero. Rates are coming off the boil, but they're not going back down to zero anytime soon. And that's a perfect environment for value to start to outperform, maybe not before year end because of tax loss selling, but certainly prospectively as the calendar turns, people are gonna be looking for bargains and that's where they're gonna look. And then the ones that are skeptical, opinion follows trend, they'll get on board as, um, as, as price uh, uh, goes, they will follow. Uh, two ideas to, uh, the be our best ideas, our biggest positions as it relates to um, taking advantage of emerging markets uh, and taking advantage of small caps uh, is Alibaba. Okay, this is controversial, but they're breaking it up into six parts. AliCloud is the equivalent of where Amazon Web Services uh, was in 2016 before they had their parabolic move. China's five years behind the US in terms of digitization. And here's a business you can buy uh, at 2014 prices when they IPO'd. Uh, today, the exact same price. The difference is revenues have grown by almost 900%. Cash flow has grown over 500%. Earnings grown over 500%. And you can say, and you can see the consistent growth, even while the economy had been shut down. Uh, so you say, well, what, what's happening? If the cash flow per share keeps growing every single year and the earnings keep growing every single year, uh, which it had a little bit of a, a respite last year, you had a step backwards in earnings, not in cash flow. Uh, but it's reaccelerating this year will will again be a record year. What changed? The only thing that changed was the multiple, uh, which contracted dramatically due to all the geopolitical uh, headwinds, et cetera. But as the dollar weakens and money flows back into emerging markets, this is a major weight. And if you overlay the Alibaba chart with an emerging market chart, you'll find basically no difference. So the fundamentals won't matter until they do. And then once they do, it's off to the races. Last time we saw something that, like this was Microsoft in the mid 90s. They grew revenues uh, 100% from 2006 to 2013. 
cash flow by 200%, earnings by 100%. The stock did nothing during those seven years. And then the next seven years with similar growth, the stock was up 1500%. So uh, it's like a coiled spring and that's what we see for BABA. And then the last one for the small cap US is a company we talked about publicly last May 2022 when it was trading at $5.50. We built up a large position, uh, talked about it on, on Fox. They got their refinancing done. The stock's now up 3x. That's uh, that's the bad news. But the good news is it's just getting started, even though it's $18. Why? Uh, this was a $146 stock. It traded down as low as $3.50 on fear that it couldn't refinance. There were no semiconductors. The production was down. Well, the production is coming back now. Uh, they provide uh, ceiling systems around the windows, uh, fluid and brake delivery systems, and fluid transfer systems that are the top in all three categories. We believe that at 85% of industry produ new car production from 2017 levels, when they earned $7 a share, if we just get back to 85% production, not 100% production, the company, because it's leaned down and they've, they've run it properly, can earn $7 a share. And then the question is, do you get a peak multiple, like when it was trading at $146 uh, of 20 times on that $7 of earnings, or do you get a trough multiple of 10 times on that $7, which would be a $70 stock, and we're only at 18. So it's gonna take some patience, but the key is the industry volumes. If the industry volumes come back, the, the operating leverage in this business, every single cycle, as you can see, whether it's 2009, 2001, 1980, the same thing happens every time the volumes return and uh, suppliers like this have massive operational volume and huge upside. So we, um, uh, I talked about the podcast, you have the hedgefundtips.com. Uh, if you on Twitter at hedge fund tips, and here's my contact information. If you want to reach out directly, uh, TJH at greathillcapital.com. And there's a phone number. Uh, so we have time for maybe one question and then we'll wrap it up. It's 130, 129. Wow. Very good, Thomas. <laughs> uh, we have one question. What are your thoughts on the recovery of China's economy? Yeah, I think this is the most underestimated story that's out there. And you got a couple catalysts this week with the meeting with Xi and uh, and President Biden, I think is going to be a positive catalyst. You've got um, Alibaba earnings on Thursday morning, which I think people are going to see that uh, results continue to uh, come in much better than people expect. Uh, and there's a lot of stimulus in the pipeline that they've been putting out in dribs and drabs over the last six to nine months that I think is all going to start to see the effects at once. So uh, we do think that the outcome of China's economy is going to be much better in 2024 than people are anticipating. Very good. Thank you, Thomas. That does conclude our time for this. And we're back. And you can find the full PowerPoint presentation here if you want to see the slides with greater clarity. Uh, and then Phil Yin and Tufik Gibran, thanks for having me on CGTN. Uh, yesterday to discuss inflation and the implication on Fed in the markets. This is the one you want to hear about regional banks and small caps. Uh, we're going to listen here. For more on the, the U.S. economy, Thomas Hayes uh, joins us, a founder, chairman, and managing member of Great Hill Capital. If I could, I'd play the theme song to cool it in the gang because I, I, I think this market had your rip your face off rally. I, I forgot the stats, but the last two weeks, I haven't seen anything like this in a really, really long time. And today just kind of caps it, off, caps it off. What's going on? Well, this is what you get when uh, most of institutional managers are caught off sides. We've talked about it in past 
uh, sessions together. Positioning was extreme. Uh, managers were overweight cash. They had the most cash and T-bills than they've had since the pandemic lows when we didn't know we were going to get a vaccine in March of uh, 2020 and the great financial crisis lows in March of 2009. You just can't make this up. And not only were they overweight cash, but they were the most short uh, 10-year treasuries than they've been since the lows in October of 2018, right before you got a monster rip-your-face-off rally in bonds. So, you know, not only did we see uh, equities rally today, but we saw the odds of a Fed hike in December and beyond plummet to 0%. And now the market is pricing in potential cuts, 34% in March, 69% chance in May, and 90% chance in June. So a complete game changer today, to say to uh, All right. say the least. All right. So uh, many people were wrong. You were right. Uh, you've got this pile of cash. Should we shove it all in the stock? Somewhere we've got the NASDAQ up 50%. I, I don't recall a year when tech stocks, were, uh, any stocks quite, for that matter, up as a group, up that much. Do we just close our eyes and jump in now? Well, you know, you never want to chase. But what we're going to see into year end, unfortunately, is a year end chase. I think the opportunity is not going to be in the seven stocks, the magnificent seven that led this year. They, they'll probably push higher into year end, no question, because managers got to make their years. But I think the opportunity is in the 493 stocks that have participated much less as breadth starts to widening and we see tax loss selling on the losers, largely in the rearview mirror. So what's going to benefit seasonally? You're going to see a big rally in small caps are going to start to outperform. You know, the spread between large caps trading at 18 times and small caps trading at less than 12 times, there's going to be opportunity there. And why is that going to happen? Because they're financial, they're, they're loaded with financials. People have been afraid of financials because all the financials bought all these treasury bonds, as we remember from March, uh, they bought them during COVID when they got an influx of deposits because of all the stimulus money. They had to buy bonds. They bought treasuries just before the Fed went on an unprecedented uh, hiking cycle. And they got bad mark to markets, which caused them to sell off, which caused the small caps to sell off. As rates collapse, as we saw down to 445 today on the 10-year yield, uh, the mark to markets in these banks gets better and better as bonds go up, their balance sheets look better, and we're going to see a bid in the right. regional banks, right. believe it or not, which is going to drive small caps. So there's an opportunity there. Thomas, uh, I got to take the flip side of this, or at least talk about it. When yields come down, and you're talking about the, um, the long-term yields, some traders would say, well, that's a reflection of perhaps um, weakness in the economy, which could be a recession, which is why the Fed has to uh, perhaps lower rates in the future. If that's the case, I know we've been worried about a recession, but it sounds like no one's talking about any recession. We're talking about this soft landing. Is it still not possible that there could be a recession next year? Because if the economy is strong, why would the Fed cut rates? Yeah, well, just two weeks ago in the Wall Street Journal, the headline article was, are we due for another Black Monday? Uh, it's, it's amazing how opinion follows trend. After price goes up, everyone becomes bulls. You know, the earnings expectations for this quarter were negative 40 basis points coming into the quarter. We're up plus 4.1 percent and still estimates for 2024 are plus 12 percent. Very rare to get uh, a bad year in equities in an election year. You have all the delayed stimulus infrastructure 
uh, funding from the Inflation Reduction Act hitting the market, going to add fuel to the fire. So uh, I, I think what you're seeing here is a situation of kind of Goldilocks, where you are getting some of the lagged effect of an aggressive tightening cycle coupled with a strong consumer and people still have jobs. And even if we get a little slowing, I think the economy can handle it. I think that companies have been preparing for a recession all year because there's been massive pessimism. And when they actually don't get it, we're going to see a, a continued uh, what started uh, a couple quarters ago, reaccelerating of margins that no one's looking for. And that's a positive thing. And then you take the dollar was down. Uh, you want to be in those stocks that are going to benefit from uh, yield compression and dollar weakness. And a lot of multinationals have had currency headwinds as that dollar starts to re-weaken. I think we're going to see a, a, another tailwind for earnings that's not in most models right now. It is a, uh, it's an exciting opportunity being, to be an investor, but also challenging. But it looks like uh, this November to remember uh, is going to continue. Uh, you're probably buying. Thomas Hayes, good to see you again, my friend. Thanks, Phil. Appreciate it. All right. Uh, and we're back. And then finally, CNBC Indonesia. Yesterday morning, I had the pleasure to get up at 3.15 before uh, headed into the city to do Charles' show. And uh, this was, want to thank Safrina and Fitria Angrani for having me on. This is all about emerging markets. You can listen in here. Samarangan Chairman and Managing Member of Great Hill Capital, Thomas Hayes. How are you, Thomas? I'm doing well, Safrina. Thanks for having me. It's near Thanksgiving and the good news has been here, you know, the good news that has been waiting for all the markets, especially not only in developed markets, but also developing markets just like Indonesia. So inflation level fell more than expected to 3.2% in October. And this is the first decline in four months, Thomas. You must have something to say about it. There's no question about it, Safrina. I, I think what this signals is that the hiking cycle peaked in July and the Fed moving forward prospectively, they're going to continue to talk hawkish, but remain uh, dovish in their actions, which is the most important thing. Uh, they're certainly done. And the question now becomes, how long can they keep rates elevated? Uh, I think the answer is uh, probably not as long as they think but longer than the market thing. So, so yesterday was a complete sea change in markets. The odds of a December hike actually collapsed down to 0%. And now the odds of cuts picked up. As a matter of fact, by March of 2024, the market is expecting a 34% chance of the first cut. By May, a 69%. And by June, a 90% chance of the first cut. Uh, I think the market uh, may get may be getting a little bit ahead of itself. We do have a lot of speakers, Fed speakers coming out over the next week. So I'm sure they're going to try to tamp down expectations a little bit. Yeah. But the good news all in is uh, is the Fed is done. OK, now what do you see about this? The data, 3.2 percent. We have reached this point on July 2023. But now again, if you look back at the historical data over 2023, we have reached 3 percent on June 2030, and then it spikes again to 3.2, to led back again to 3.7. Is it going to happen again? What do you see about this possibility? Yeah, I think, you know, we got a, a reprieve from energy. Uh, certainly used cars were down. Shelter at 0.3 tenths of 1% is, uh, you know, under 4% annualized. So that was a welcome reprieve. Uh, airline fares were down. But certainly we could see some volatility. We could see some spike ups. 
but uh, uh, on balance, that, that has to persist. I think the target of 2% is a nice talking point. Uh, it's unrealistic. When you have uh, debt to GDP over 120%, you have to let inflation run a little bit higher than normal, just like we did uh, after World War II when we had debt to GDP of 120%. We ran inflation in the 3 4 5% range for a number of years that helped bring debt to GDP down. I think that will be the playbook this time as well, but the Fed will remain vigilant. The Fed will continue to threaten markets uh, with more hikes, but uh, more likely than not, not have to act on that. Uh, uh, I think they'll be doing cuts sooner than they'll be doing any hikes, uh, but, but the cuts may be further off than the market is pricing at the moment. Thomas, and can you talk more about the non-farm payrolls? It reached 150 uh, by this October. Do you have something to say about it? Well, I think the non-farm payrolls was a welcome reprieve uh, this month. The November numbers of plus 99,000 uh, came in much lower than expected. And this is the Goldilocks scenario mm. where uh, you have a little bit of softening in labor, which uh, takes off of the table the idea of a wage price spiral. And this kind of reprieve in the labor market um, uh, it, it is welcome. You, you want to see, number one, more people are going back to work. We've had an increase in the labor force participation rate in recent months, which means we have a greater supply of labor as people spend through their excess savings, which helps keep a lid on wages, which uh, takes the fear of uh, uh, accelerating inflation off the table, which puts the Fed at rest and uh, and enables them to discontinue the hikes as we've seen since July. So it's yeah. really a perfect scenario. Our earnings are growing, our economy is growing, the labor market is cooling a little bit, uh, inflation is coming off the boil. So uh, it's, it's kind of the best of all worlds at the moment. Okay, okay then. So if you say that the Federal Reserve will keep, will hold its interest rate, and if it's going to hold its interest rates, what condition then will make the Fed reduce interest rates in the coming period. As you said before, there's this playbook because relating to the debt ceiling, you got to run the inflation a bit higher than the target in 2%. Yeah. Yeah, I think there are a couple of things that could force them to do cuts uh, uh, sooner. Number or, or um, well, two things. Uh, the spike in the unemployment rate uh, would cause them to cut. They don't want to see massive uninflation because uh, uh, unemployment, because on that basis, they would have to do too much stimulus and print too much money to fix it. So they don't want to see unemployment go through the roof. That would cause them to cut if, if that starts to creep up. I think the other thing that they should be afraid of and very afraid of is the possibility of deflation potentially setting in. Uh, that would cause them to cut aggressively to try to avoid because inflation is much easier to control than deflation. Deflation, mm. you can be stuck in for many years, as we saw in Japan. So they have to keep an eye on that. And then the last thing that would potentially cause them to cut would be dramatically below trend growth. If you start to see uh, GDP come in well below 2% or even negative mm. uh, on that basis, they would cut. I, I think that's a low probability, but I, I think the number one thing they've got their eye on is the unemployment rate. If that starts to tick up uh, sure. a little bit too aggressively, uh, they'll, they'll be cutting sooner than expected. Sure, Thomas, and let's get um, straightforward about what is the impact of this inflation rate, uh, rate that is cooling down to 3.2% to Wall Street, Thomas. 
Well, I think you saw the beginning of it yesterday. Mm -hmm. uh, big rally. Uh, you're starting to see, you know, a, a lot of our gains year to date have been driven by what we call the Magnificent Seven, which is predominantly large cap growth stocks in 2023. What you saw yesterday was a regime change where you had massive breadth in the market, breadth meaning uh, the, the other 493 stocks in the S&P 500 were all up. And, and the key was small caps had one of their best days in a long time. Small caps is largely weighted with regional banks. Uh, that index was up over 5%. I think as we move into 2024, what do um, uh, steady rates and a weaker dollar, we had one of the largest one-day drops in the U.S. dollar over 1.5% yesterday. What does that mean moving forward? It means two things. Number one, Small caps can start to outperform. They've been uh, acting poorly in, in, the, in the recent year. But more than that, what's important for your viewers, Safrina, is emerging markets can start to fly once again. As the dollar comes off the boil, like we saw last fall when the dollar weakened, emerging markets shot up. Then you had this counter trend strength in the dollar. That's now weakening again. We're going to see another rally in emerging markets. So as we look into 2024, I think two areas of uh, outperformance are going to be small caps, uh, particularly small cap value in the U.S. and emerging markets in China. Uh, as the dollar weakens, you're going to see more and more flows into emerging markets, and that should be a good thing for your audience. For Indonesia point of view as an emerging markets, as you said before, we would really want to know, is this already the terminal rate for the Fed? or the Fed will raise interest rates at least once more. When do you predict this will happen under what condition? How do you see it in the future? Yeah, the, the, right now, the odds of a hike, uh, if you look at Fed fund futures, is 0%. Uh, certainly, there could be a situation where energy reaccelerates. So you have, you know, black swan risks in Gaza. Mm. If, that, if that conflict accelerates and we saw some more uh, increase in energy, which would cause uh, inflation to, to somewhat reaccelerate uh, if it was a sustained higher energy prices, then then and only then do I think you'd have the possibility of an additional hike. I think that is a low probability. Uh, furthermore, with the amount of production coming out of the U.S. and uh, coming out of places that are not part of that region, I think even in that case, if you had an acceleration, the odds of a hike would be the bar is extremely high to do another hike. And uh, okay. and I wouldn't bet on it whatsoever. So in that case, dollar week, emerging market equity strong. Well, thank you so much for your valuable insights to CNBC Indonesia viewers. We wish you well and always pleasure to have you in CNBC Indonesia. Thank you, Thomas. Thank you, Safrina. And we're back. And then finally, I joined Julian Glickman on Stock App to discuss three turnarounds, Alibaba, VF Corp, and Advanced Auto Parts. So if you want more color on those, listen in here. Tom Hayes, chairman of Great Hill Capital. We have a pretty sanguine outlook on the U.S. economy uh, in the short term. What we've seen of late was positioning in late October, mid to late October, got very extreme. Managers were overweight cash. They were taking the lowest risk in their portfolios than they've taken since the 
pandemic lows in March of 2020, and before that, the great financial crisis lows in March of 2009. Uh, and they were really offsides. They were overweight cash. Uh, hedge funds were the most short, the 10-year treasury than they've been since late 2018, which was the bottom right before a treasury rally or a compression in yields. So it all was kind of the perfect stew to see the reversal that we saw last week. Uh, and we do think that that's uh, going to persist moving forward. We're going to see some strength in the equity markets through year end. Uh, the consensus has just been simply too negative going into earnings. Expectations were for negative 4% earnings growth. Uh, or contraction rather, and instead here we are after 80% of companies reporting up plus 3.7% earnings growth year on year. So a lot of positive things happening. Well, I think we're in a good spot. Uh, we saw inflation is, is under control uh, month on month. Average hourly earnings came in at uh, plus 0.2% versus plus 3.3% uh, expectations. The non-farm payrolls came in lower than expected at uh, 99,000. So what that does is it, it basically is a Goldilocks scenario where you're getting enough softening to get the Fed out of the way. Uh, and it actually, if you look at the odds of another Fed hike, they've collapsed down to 9.8% for, for the December meeting. So with the Fed out of the way, even if they keep rates elevated, uh, we're positive. If you look at uh, forward earnings expectations for 2024, earnings are going to grow 12%. And if you look at multiples, yes, in aggregate, the S&P 500 is trading at 18 times. But if you back out those magnificent seven stocks, uh, you're below 15 times, which is very reasonable. And I, I think that's going to be the theme for the next 12 to 24 months is the broadening out of the market. The 93% that have underperformed are gonna to start to outperform. That doesn't mean Magnificent Seven will, will necessarily do poorly, but I think there's gonna be a lot more opportunity, a lot more broader opportunity that's gonna be an underpinning for the markets and economy in the coming year. So we have three major turnaround companies for you to support both of our themes. The first theme being the broadening of the stock market and also the uh, topping out of yields. So now that we have an environment where yields are more normalized and actually stopping to go up, the, the biggest problem with valuations is when you do a discounted cash flow uh, model, DCF model, if your discount rate keeps going up, the valuations keep coming down. So now that we seem to have peaked out and people can get comfort that rates are gonna be stabilized, uh, the companies that were perceived to have refinancing risk or uh, 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 debt risk, solvency risk that have really been hammered uh, are now going to get a recovery because analysts can model out what's going to be the interest expense moving forward, how can they deleverage, what are the value of the future cash flows moving forward. And in that context, we love two U.S. turnarounds and one international turnaround. The, the U.S. turnarounds, the first one you, you're going to fall off your chair is VF Corp. Okay, this owns uh, North Face, it owns Vans, they also own Eastpac, Jansport, etc. We have a turnaround situation with this company, a brand new CEO, Bracken Darrell has come in. He previously did a turnaround with Logitech. 
He came into Logitech after their stock had been down 82%, and from 2013 to 2021, the stock went from basically $5 to $133. He had a 26-bagger. Uh, and he thinks that uh, he can turn around VF Corp in the same way. He started off last week with a kitchen sink quarter, writing off everything like a good CEO so he can set expectations low and beat every time uh, coming forward. But he couldn't write off everything because we, they beat on the top line and they came uh, within shooting distance on the bottom line. And I think that uh, uh, Bracken Darrell is going to have his second monster multi-bagger turnaround and we want to participate over the next two to three plus years. The second domestic turnaround is Advance Auto Parts. And again, they too brought in a brand new CEO who has turnaround expertise, who has supply chain expertise, and his name's Shane O'Kelly. He ran HD Supply for Home Depot. That was a $7 billion top line business for Home Depot, growing like a weed. It serviced the larger contractors and did all the supply for them. Harvard MBA, US military background, ran multiple businesses, supply chain businesses, distribution businesses, advantage, et cetera. And the big problem was the previous CEO jacked up prices. They, they historically had a reputation of having the best service, uh, best parts, best uh, turnaround time, and they ruined it by raising prices and retrading some of the contracts. The new CEO is going to come in, fix those contracts, repair those relationships, uh, still generating free cash flow, trading at a, a 10 times earnings. So we like those two turnarounds. And now with rates normalizing, that refinancing risk gets mitigated. Uh, they'll be able to sell what they need to sell to, uh, to deleverage. And I think that the cash flows can, can resume on both counts. And then finally, on the weaker dollar, the dollar stop, stop strengthening thesis and international companies getting flows, a company we love, uh, and we've been building a position for over a year now. It's been going sideways because the dollar's been strong. We think it's ready to absolutely take off, is Alibaba. And what's amazing about this company um, is if you overlay it with the emerging markets chart, uh, it, the, the correlation is very high. And You'll see the last time we had a monster rally in emerging markets was from 2003 to 2007. Emerging markets were up 400%. We think we are setting up for a similar environment for emerging markets to fly. And because Alibaba is one of the highest quality, largest weight companies in the indices, they're going to get the most flows. And then once the, they get flows and they start to go up, people will actually start to pay attention to the fundamentals, which have been truly phenomenal in the most difficult once in a hundred year environment, both uh, from a policy standpoint in China, a geopolitical standpoint in China, etc. They've been able to grow free cash flow. They generated $25 billion of free cash flow last year in spite of the shutdown, in spite of the crackdown, in spite of the regulations. And you can buy this company for 2014 prices when they IPO'd. You can buy it for the same price today. The difference is the revenues are up 800% from that point. And now they're going to release uh, and, and unlock that value by breaking it up into six different parts. You're going to get an IPO of Ant Financial, which is one of the largest financial services firms in the entire world. You own 33% of that as an owner of Alibaba. Freshippo could be the next Costco of China. They opened one store a day on average in September. They are crushing their competition now. They're cutting prices. They're gaining share. And here's a, here's a fact that no one could possibly imagine. 
AliExpress, their international e-commerce website, just overtook Amazon as the largest e-commerce site in Europe. So AliExpress is now bigger than the Amazon e-commerce business in Europe, which is huge. And then AliCloud, which is the growth driver for the future, will be spun into a separate company. You'll have it as an owner of Alibaba. They've got 80% share of the tech market in China. They have 38% share of the overall market. This business is setting up just like AWS was in the US in 2016 before they went on their parabolic move as you had digitization adoption and now with the large language models, AI, etc., the compute power demand is unlimited. All of them are 12 to 36 months. These are long-term, uh, we're looking for multi-bagger uh, turnaround plays and we take a long view. We want to uh, be owners of the business. We, we focus on you know, underlying fundamentals over time. In the short term, the market's a voting machine based on emotion. In the long term, it's a weighing machine based on fundamentals, and that's where we're focused on all three. 12 to 36 month time horizon for the turnarounds uh, to get double pluses on all of these, and, and in, in some cases, many more, much more in our view. And we're back. And then finally, sentiment and positioning. Bank of America put out its fund manager survey on Tuesday. Uh, it interviewed a couple, 200 managers with a half a half a billion dollars. The three key points, half a billion, half a trillion, 500 billion, uh, three key points. Managers are still more pessimistic than they were at the March 2020 pandemic lows and March 2009 great financial crisis lows. Markets will continue to climb the wall of worry until these managers are forced back into the market against their will. Always remember, opinion follows trend. As price moves up and they are pushed back in, they will be just as confident in their bullish thesis as they currently are with their bearish one. Mark my words on that. The same guys that have been negative all year, once they're forced in, probably over the next few weeks, they're going to be the most bullish people on TV, and they, and they let them off the hook, which is... You know, it is what it is. <laughs> it's unbelievable. All right, number two, managers love T-bills and cash. They hate emerging markets, China, REITs, UK, and banks. Take the other side. It's, it's working and it's going to continue to work. And number three, oh, and by the way, their second most crowded short is, uh, most crowded trade is short China equities. Uh, we're going to see rip your face off on that and just watch the dollar. It's all the conditions are there. Of course, we had to get punched in the nose with Baba today just as things are turning, but people will get over that. There's nothing left to sell on. It's like, uh, wait, cash flows up, they're generating 27 billion of cash. Uh, you back out the, the enterprise value. Uh, it, you, you literally can't make this up. Anyway, managers are starting to come out of cash as the markets get away from them, but they are still too underweight risk assets and will have to chase. And then finally, the two-year yield as a signal. As you can see below, historically, when the two-year yield in red and black, um, trades below the Fed funds rate in solid black, um, the two-year yield wins. That means the Fed is forced to cut as they are too restrictive and destroying the economy. Uh, and as a matter of fact, I think it's, it was in my Charles notes, there's like a 30% chance of a cut in 
March, 60% in May, and 85% in June. So now, the problem is, is most market participants, okay, so the reason the Fed is forced, that means the Fed is forced to cut as they're too restrictive and destroying the economy. Most market participants suffer from recency bias and will look at the most recent events to confirm that cuts will mean bad things for the market and the economy. However, if you look back a bit further, you will see in 1982, early cycle, and 1989, mid-cycle, that cuts was executed with no deleterious effects to the markets or economy. Just the opposite. It was an accelerant to get things going. And we think those are better frameworks. And if you actually think about 8182 with Volcker and the most precipitous hike uh, or aggressive hiking tightening cycle uh, since what we saw in the last 18 months, that's probably the best model. But uh, I also do think we're mid-cycle in an 18-year cycle, so 89 is a good place to look as well. Now, onto the shorter-term view for the general market. The AAII sentiment survey result, bullish percent ticked up to 43.8 from 42.6. The previous work, bearish percent also ticked up to 28 from 27. Retail investors are starting to get giddy. This level can stay elevated during major moves. Uh, but be open-minded to a little give back in markets in the short term. I wrote this overnight, so that was uh, uh, so that that was what it was to, to knock the so be open-minded to a little give back in markets to knock the certainty out of their mind before moving higher. CNN fear and greed moved up from 40 to 53 this week, which is a neutral reading. And finally, the National Association of Active Investment Managers. Let's see where this is at, because they always publish after we write the article. That's at 72% equity exposure, so they're starting to chase up. Um, and then finally, the year-end chase is going to continue in coming weeks. Um, uh, we covered this last week, but we're going to close out this round probably sooner then later because um, a lot of these stocks are going to be running away from us if we wait too long. So after being highly exclusive since 2019 and closed to new investors prior to that, our business has expanded to serve an additional tier of clients. The response we have received since opening up in the past few months has dramatically exceeded our expectations. If you missed our opening in early Q3, we opened our Q4 round last week. For details and to see if you qualify, go here at hedgefundtips.com. You'll see the money management if you're listening button um, or just, you know, reach out. You got the email and phone number on the um, money show PowerPoint presentation uh, and we'd love to chat. Uh, technology earnings estimates revisions. The top 30 weights in the last 60 days were revised up nine tenths of one percent in the last 60 days uh, for this year and up uh seven one one seven one hundredth of, of percent for next year on the technology so that was good to see communication surveys services up uh just under one percent in the last 60 days for this year uh and down 59 basis points for next year uh that seems to be let's see that's mostly attributable to see if there's any company that stands out Charter, 
Yeah, it looks like it's charter. So that doesn't matter. As a matter of fact, the downward revisions for Q4, which is still expected to be plus 3.2% for earnings growth, are largely concentrated in Pfizer and Merck. You get a Pfizer oral weight loss pill uh, results in the next whatever it is. Uh, they're waiting on it. Uh, that 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 earnings number for those are going to change very, very quickly. Uh, the other thing you saw with yields down at below 445, uh, jobless claims were a little higher than expected, um, which is good right now because it, it puts the nail in the coffin for any further tightening. That's what we need to see. And then um, estimates, earnings came in uh, for this quarter. If you remember when it was at negative 0.3%, we were saying it's probably going to be plus three because People have been too pessimistic by 300 basis points for the last few quarters. It actually is now plus 4.1%, and you can't find a, a more you know miserable group of bears out in the market. It's it's mind-boggling. All right, so so first off, the podcast is over. We're going to do some ask me anything questions for those of you who want to stick around. If it's about Alibaba, we've covered it a million times. Uh, you have your answer. Thanks, Jack McCarthy. Uh, here's one. From Bob Johnson, I know your position on this, but can't help myself. Would love you hear me out. Tesla's the same price uh, compared to 2020, but revenues tripled. Profit went from less than a billion to 10 billion EPS from a quarter to over $3. I understand it was overvalued then, and one could argue it's overvalued today on the premise that you have to buy into the narrative of its roadmap and future technologies and products, but I can at least invoke the Alibaba narrative as they ramp up negotiations. Uh, with India and lower tariffs for Tesla, which is a country that BYD is their only true rival, cannot enter. Uh, blah, blah. Cheers, Bob. Bob, have at it. Not what we do. Uh, there's no margin of safety. So, you know, can it become a $5 trillion company like Kathy Wood says? Sure, I guess it can. Um, it'll, it'll be the same day that Bitcoin's $2 million. Um, but all I can tell you is... I look for outs and um, I look for free cash flow generative businesses trading at low multiples due to temporary impairment, due to exogenous events, because I know I'm going to live another day. The high flyers and, and Musk is something special. He's a unique, you know, uh, creature. I'd never bet against him, but I, I just don't pay up. And uh, you also have to accept when you miss something and, and that there's something to be said for that. It's like, um, there's something magnetic about specific names that people can't get enough of and rather than pay attention to where the value is. So, you know, it was Apple over the summer when it was trading at 200 bucks and 32 times uh, earnings with negative revenues. And then boom, you know, you got the wind knocked out of the sales. Uh, same thing with NVIDIA. So we'll see the uh, earnings for NVIDIA next week. I think that's going to play a critical role in the year-end rally. So they'll probably, you know, they could be okay. Uh, but we just don't own companies like that because over time, we know we can outperform with the type of companies we own. And with these, you can get your head handed to you. So I, I don't want to play that game. Um, but, you know, you're welcome to and, and have at it. And that analysis is nothing like the analysis we did on Alibaba. It doesn't even modestly resemble it because the, the multiples... And what has to go, <laughs> the point is, we bought Alibaba on the basis that everything could go wrong and it's still cheap. And guess what? 
everything's gone wrong and it's still cheap. <laughs> Except for the fact that they keep generating more cash in every quarter than they did in the previous year and that's gonna continue. So eventually that coiled spring uh, gets unloaded and we'll be owners, why? Because we don't trade on margin uh, and we don't have material leverage. So we can sit and wait and whether it does it in, you know, triple in the next six, you know, 12 months or 24 months or 36 months, it's immaterial because in the meantime, we got other things that are off to the races like Cooper Standard, like Intel, and uh, now uh, even the Stanley Black and Deckers and the Generax and the Vornados and uh, even VF Corp is getting a bid. So, you know, they, they, Citibank, if Citibank can be up, uh, you know, there is a God. So, all right, Ajit. Um, Dino Polska, Polish uh, grocery store, uh, 2000 in the last decade. Uh, 51% ownership. Grocery stores in the Okay, so it's a grocery store in Poland. This is not my cup of tea, but I'll take a look for you. Um, Dino Polska. All right. All right, balance sheet's healthy. A lot of cat backs. I don't like that. Um, but, you know, I, I'm sure that's for opening new stores. I get it. Um, oh, it's in Poland. All right, uh, looks good on a lot of different fronts. Let's see, I don't think I can even pull it up. No. Um, here we go. Yeah, I mean, so, you know, it's rebounded from 340 to 440 already. It's approaching all-time highs. I mean, I I don't know. I, I like to buy it when no one wants it. This thing's already recovering. So for me, it's a no, but, you know, on a pullback, I'd reconsider it just because it's a it seems to be a decent quality business, but I'd have to start to do work. I also don't like little countries where um, I don't really have an edge and then you got currency issues. I, uh, for me, it's a pass, but I, I would, the fact that I would potentially want to own it as a private business um, tells me I would definitely explore it. So I think your work is great here. I think it's a decent company. I just think that um, it's not distressed enough for me right now. Tila Tap, um, I like turnarounds. I think my new nickname is going to be Turnaround Tom. Tila Tap, uh, could you explain how the priced in rate hike chart works? 
you cheated. There's no chance of a rate hike in December. How's this calculated? So it's just the futures, uh, Tila Tap. So if you go to the CME website, you can see Fed Funds Futures. And it's basically an aggregation of all of the market participants. Um, here it is. So here's December, 99.7% chance. So now there's a three-tenths of 1% chance there'll be a hike in December. Um, for January, there's a 93% chance of no hikes. For uh, March, you can add these up, and it looks like there is a 32.9% chance of a cut. And then May, there's 36 plus 5, 50, uh, 36. So 41.5% chance of a hike, of a cut in May. And then finally, June, 55, that's 95.8% chance of a cut in or more in June. So, uh, so this is what the, you know, Fed fund futures are telling us, and that's uh, the uh, market consensus at the moment. Tom, what are your views on match? Uh, we covered match a few weeks ago, Martin, so I'm not going to do that again, but I generally said it's cheap enough, but I didn't like the fact that their revenues weren't growing. So it was kind of like, um, you know, you need, you need to understand the plan for growth, but yes, it's a good business at a low price, but uh, show me the growth story is really where I came out on it. Uh, Muhammad Al Otaibai. So you can just go back and find that in previous uh, episodes. Muhammad Al Otaibi. Thoughts about Buffett selling GM. Timing of his selling is also worth knowing. GM margins permanently compressed. Look, they, <laughs> they got smoked in the union negotiations. I mean, that's why I would never own. I, I never have owned an OEM and I never would. I, you know, and it's funny because Buffett in his teachings said he would never own a union business. So, you know, times change, but he also said he would never own airlines and he had to dump those in the hole in 2020. So, you know, people are human beings. They make mistakes. They get lured by the, you know, hypnotized. GM is cheap, uh, but it can always be cheap because anytime they make money, they're going to have all these union people coming out and getting all of it. So, uh, and now they've just set the bar high and the precedent very high that that's going to keep happening. So uh, kudos to uh, I'd be long Sean Fain and short Mary Barra is really what it comes out to um, because he won and she got smoked. Uh, Ish Singh, uh, thanks so much for the immense amount of knowledge you share. Congrats on sticking it to all the bears yet again. <laughs> I've been sending your videos to any friends who still believe headlines that a recession is inbound for Q2. Uh, my AMA question is based on current valuations, intrinsic values, growth expectations. What do you see? What stock do you see the highest upside, excluding Baba? Um, I work in a magnificent seven and have an upcoming stock vest. I prefer to move my money to the other 493 stocks because, as you say, the last shall be first, first shall be last. After doing my own due diligence, I'm considering increasing my position in Cooper Standard or starting a position uh, advanced auto parts of VF Corp. I do expect a quicker rebound in Cooper Standard Fundamentals to the turnaround story of AAP and VFC, probably slightly longer term. Curious to hear your thoughts. I don't think anything's either or. I think you gotta have a basket because turnarounds are not guaranteed. Our biggest risk with Cooper Standard was last year 
before they did the refinancing. And um, the only reason I took the risk is because I understood management. Uh, and I also knew that if they couldn't get the job done themselves, I, I would be able to find a way to get the job done to get them financed. Um, and uh, that's why I took the risk. You know, VF Corp, I, I think you want to bet on uh, uh, Bracken Darrell. Uh, he did it 26 bagger with uh, Logitech. Uh, and I think that on uh, Advanced Auto Parts, uh, Shane O'Kelly, I think it's a good story, but these are not slam dunks. I mean, they're, they're going to take some work. I mean, Vans is is struggling uh, and um, and they're going to have to rebuild the trust with the consumers in advanced auto parts. Uh, and to do that, they're going to have to keep prices low. So their margins are going to be under pressure for 12 or 24 months until they can put some pressure on their suppliers. But, um, you know, I'm willing to wait a few years for multi-baggers. So um, the answer to your question is, I don't know your financial situation. I don't know your risk parameters. I deal exclusively with accredited investors. And uh, the composition of our portfolios is proprietary to people who are clients. So uh, I can share from time to time on companies that we think look interesting. Uh, but from there, uh, you got to talk with, with your financial advisor. Jake Weinstein, uh, what are your thoughts on C Limited? Uh, I think it's fine. It's cheap. Uh, they're uh, going to be investing more in growth. Stock sold off again. Um, you know, I, I think it's worth having a little position in in a company like this. Uh, but you know, it'll take a little time. But they will benefit from the flows, and they've got a nice little niche in their area, uh, and it's kind of interesting. David Perella. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Okay, uh, more Alibaba. Was looking over Alibaba's earnings call. Saw they are scrapping their plans to spin the business into six units. Uh, and the chip restrictions said they won't deliver full value to shareholders as intended. That's not what they said. They just said that they're not splitting the business. It's it, The market can assign full value at any point in time. And by the way, if it was so clear that value would be delivered by the six parts, why didn't the market discount that? The market is a discounting mechanism. So the answer to your question was, is look, Let's do this one more time. Nothing about Alibaba's fundamentals are going to matter until the whole group starts to move. And here is an overlay, just so you don't get overwhelmed looking at Alibaba every minute. Here is the Emerging Markets Index. It's the exact same chart. Tick for tick, exact same chart. So um, as emerging markets start to move, BABA will follow. And, and then once BABA follows, people will start to say, okay, well, money's got to go in emerging markets. What do I pay and what do I get? What, what companies that have a durable moat that are cash flow generative, uh, can I buy the most value and growth for the least amount of money? And Alibaba is going to come up number one on every single one of the every single one of those institutional manager screens. And the more it goes up, the more they're going to panic into it, and it'll be a benevolent circle. It just haven't hasn't happened yet. But sideways a year and a half, sideways a year and a half, sideways a year and a half. When it happens, it happens. We can't control that. We can just control the process. So. Um, also, you say wait, before you get into stock, you know the price you're getting out. Uh, is that price from a DCF or a combination of a lot of different analysis? It's a combination of a lot of different analysis. Thanks for all the hard work. Thank you for listening. Good question, David. But 
you know, you guys are getting caught in the weeds. St zoom out, as we always say, understand what's going on, know what you own, and just patience. Mitch Lynn, what's the, uh, what's the maximum amount of money you would pay to play Augusta National? Depends who I'm playing with. Uh, the U.S. dollar is has been weakening in the year term. What is the value uh, do you think is reasonable for capital flows during emerging markets? It's just it's going to be a process. Emerging markets have stopped started moving up. All the Chinese stocks have gone with it. Baba took a respite today due, due to uh, markets don't like surprises, so it'll take three days for people to sort it out, and then uh, it'll go up with the rest of them. So that the key is the Fed is done. Rates are going down, dollars resuming its downtrend, back to the future in the beginning of the call. Here's the dollar, 107 down to 104. That's a huge move in a couple of weeks. Um, same thing with bond yields from five down to 445, huge move in a couple of weeks. Small caps are up and Alibaba was moving up with emerging markets until it wasn't. <laughs> but it's just noise, it's headline noise. You gotta just, uh, separate it. So it's already happening is the answer to your question. Uh, Jason Patel. Uh, this may be an obvious or dumb thought. Go easy. Multiple growth potential aside, does dividend for Alibaba send a huge positive signals in the market and Western investors who are looking to invest capital in China but concerned about risk of getting cash out, navigating red tape, new landscape and having to have boots on the ground. No, it's not a material advantage. I'd rather they invest the money in their business. But uh, how many China investment vehicles are that at that size that provide one liquidity? Cash flows returning back to investor growth potential in coming years. Uh, low to no need for overhead. Uh, as the cloud business grows and monopolizes the public sector in China, at the same time, dividends are coming back to us. That's a huge validation in my mind and signal from the government. Yeah, we agree. Uh, just patience. All right, Darwin Nunez. Uh, 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 I believe that Baba will succeed, but is there any reason why you overlooked Pinduo Duo? They have somehow survived the bad sentiment and cracked down fears. Uh, not enough outs. You know, they they don't they're not in enough of the businesses. I want to have the cloud exposure. I got six outs with Baba plus Ant Financial, which no one's talking about. Which, by the way. I uh, put an article, uh, they had, you know, if you X out that final um, fine over the summer, they had a monster quarter um, and we own a third of that. So there's just not enough outs with Pinduoduo and in a company where I'm taking country risk, I'm not going to take company risk. I mean, there are going to be plenty of Chinese companies that run faster. And then, you know, some of them you wake up the next day, it's a fraud. I don't have that worry with Alibaba. So, you know, have at it with Pinduoduo looks good, but not for me. Sam R, um, can you look at ASOS below book value through tangible book? Uh, yeah, I'm not interested in book value. So I wanted plays on um, UK because it's so pessimistic and out of favor. Uh, one that we have um, a decent position is Rolls-Royce. That's been a monster. Um, and then the other is ASOS and it's done absolutely nothing. Um, ASOS, I was always skeptical of because they brought in a suit from McKinsey who doesn't have real operating background, but he was kind of brought in a restructuring guy. Uh, Rolls-Royce was just a play on China airline miles coming back and, uh, that this thing's already a double, uh, and I think it's got a lot of runway to go. Um, as far as ASOS, uh, we've covered it in the past. It's a tiny position for us. 
Um, I'm waiting for more information. They're looking to sell off the um, the luxury store business, which is doing really well for them. Uh, you know, I'm looking for reasons to buy more. I haven't found them yet. I'm comfortable with a tiny little position, free option on a good business. As the UK comes back, you saw the inflation numbers drop, which will be good for their margins. Uh, but for the time being, this is one I'm not leaning into, but I want a little flyer, so I keep watching it. And there may come a point where I do want to lean in. It's just not yet. So with that said, I want to thank everyone for tuning in. We'll be back next week, same time, same place. In the meantime, make it a great one. Bye for now.